the, the central idea here is that Machen is fighting against the idea that Christianity is a life and instead of a doctrine. And so the, the liberal, the modernist way of thinking was really wanting to emphasize uh, that Christianity was more about feeling, more about experience, and more about practice. And I think some of the motivation, we talked about this a few weeks ago, some of the motivation for this was to, to bring people in, people who were skeptical of Christianity. They could come into the church, and maybe what's brought them there is they're interested in some of the ideas of Jesus, but they don't believe in the supernatural. They don't believe in the miracles. Essentially, they don't want to believe what the Bible says. They want to pick certain things out and make that the emphasis. And so uh, false teacher, the, the modernists, the liberals in, in this day were uh, teaching that Christianity was a life and not a doctrine. Well, Machen is going to contend with this idea that uh, Christianity, you, you may well be able to say that it's a life, but it's a doctrine first. It has to be. There's, uh, there is something that we believe. There are many things that we believe. But there are most important things that we believe, namely that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He lived and died and rose for our sins. So this is what we're talking about in chapter 2. Uh, to begin defining our terms, what is doctrine? Well, at the beginning of the chapter, Machen is, is going to simply say the doctrine is teaching. He goes on later in uh, page 46, he says that any presentation of the facts which lie at the basis of the Christian religion with the true meaning of the facts. This is what he's really going to zero in on in this chapter is that Christianity is built on historical facts. If it's just about uh, modern, if it's just about the things that you experience in, in your life, the feelings that you have when you think about God, that's not enough to sustain you. Machen is pointing us back to what the Bible says. And so doctrine is a presentation of the facts of the, that lie at the basis of, Christian, of Christianity. And then an explanation of those facts. That's the doctrine. And so uh, one of the, uh, it's, I don't know if it's the, the most famous quote from this book, but one of the quotes that I see a lot from Christianity and liberalism is this one. Christ died. That's history. That's historical fact. Christ died for our sins. That is doctrine. That's the meaning of that historical fact. That's the interpretation of it and the right one. And so what's the problem? Why is Machen starting his second chapter uh, talking about doctrine? Why is, why is this an important setup? Well, because these wacky ideas that, are, that were centralized to the theological seminaries in Machen's day are now coming into the pews, into lesson helps in Sunday school classes. And so uh, he says that modern liberalism in the church, whatever judgment may be passed on it, is at any rate no longer merely an academic matter. Uh, this anti-supernaturalism uh, isn't just something that uh, a few guys who are teaching in the seminary believe. It's actually making it into the churches. And Machen says it's an attack upon the fundamentals of the Christian faith it's being carried on vigorously by Sunday school lesson helps, by the pulpit, and by the religious press. So this is the need for him to address this kind of thing. And he says the remedy is not to be found, as some devout persons have suggested, we can maybe put devout in the quotes, in the abolition of the theological seminaries. Oh, I'm sorry, this, I have the wrong quote in mind. Here's, listen to this quote. The remedy is not to be found, as some devout persons have suggested, in the abolition of theological seminaries or the abandonment of scientific theology, but rather in a more earnest search for the truth and more loyal devotion to it 
when once it's found. What he's saying is that some people hear that sketchy stuff is going on in the seminaries. Uh, people who are going to be ministers are being taught that you, you can't trust the scriptures anymore. And so devout, truly devout persons hear that and say, well, then down with the seminaries. Let's get rid of those things. And Machen is saying, well, hold on. The, the problem is not the search for truth. The problem is not gaining knowledge about what the scriptures say and teach. The problem is the way uh, these teachers are teaching. It's the way they've abandoned the historic Christian faith. And so he says, here's one thing you can say for the liberal seminary professors. The roots of the great issues are more clearly seen than in the world at large. Among students, the reassuring employment of traditional phrases is often abandoned, and the advocates of a new religion, modernism, liberalism, are not at pains as they are in the church at large to maintain an appearance of conformity with the past. What's he saying there? He's saying at, at the seminaries, um, and, and increasingly so in his days, uh, the, the seminary professors who believe modernism, liberalism, they're not hiding the ball. They're, they're saying exactly what they think. They're dispensing with old ways of talking about the faith. And they're giving the seminarians uh, this liberalism. But the contrast that he makes is when these pastors come into the churches, uh, they're not being as straightforward. They're not being as honest. Uh, what they're doing is they're still using some of the historic Christian language, but they're emptying it of its meaning, or they're changing the meaning. And this is why Machen says we really have to fight against this, and we really have to be clear about this, because it's sneaky. It's subtle. Do you see that? That it's coming into the churches this way, and the average person in the pew is listening to this and not realizing at first that what the scriptures teach are what the scriptures teach are being eroded by these pastors. Um, the problem here, uh, the the desire, um, few desires on the part of religious teachers have been more harmfully exaggerated than the desire to avoid giving defense. Only too often that desire has come perilously near dishonesty. I think this sounds very modern to us, doesn't it? Uh, the, these religious teachers, uh, these modern pastors who are coming into the, the churches and teaching these kinds of things, the, the excuse that they'll give for themselves is they're trying to avoid giving offense. Uh, we don't want to run anybody off. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. And Machen says there's something good about that desire, but the way you're doing it is coming perilously close to dishonesty. You're not being true. You're not saying what the Scriptures teach. And of course, the reason this is the problem is that the Scriptures tell us that the Gospel is offensive. Now, we want to avoid giving unnecessary offense. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us love is not arrogant or rude. And in, in all things, Ephesians 4.15, we want to be speaking the truth in love. The crucial part there is that we're speaking the truth. It's not loving not to speak the truth. The gospel is offensive. 1 Peter 2 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, being the Lord Jesus, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense he is. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And in Galatians 5.11, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? 
in, the, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And, uh, and Machen's going to talk a little bit more about the church in Galatia here soon. Um, here, here's the point. Softening the truth is not kind. Uh, it, it, can, it, it can get to the point where you're just lying. Colossians 3.9, do not lie. Proverbs 27.5-6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs is telling us, don't be a flatterer. Don't tell people just what you think they want to hear. And, uh, and Machen is seeing that this is what the pastors, uh, that, that many of the liberal modernist pastors in his day are doing. Uh, love, while it's not arrogant or rude, it rejoices in the truth. And so this is Machen's question, why won't they be honest? Well, in, on page 18, he says, the religious teacher in his heart of hearts is, where a well, is, is well aware of the radicalism of his views, but is unwilling to relinquish his place in the hallowed atmosphere of the church by speaking his whole mind. It's quite the accusation that Machen is making, but he's, he's cutting to the heart here. He's saying, look, these guys, they believe radical things that depart from the scriptures, and they want to keep their jobs. They're trying to find a line between uh, saying what they think, saying it in a soft way so that no one will run away, and saying it in a way that no one's going to run them out of the building. And so Machen is highlighting for us the, the, the deception that's at work here. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's important for us to, to recognize, and I think you, you see this in the world today, uh, you can you can hear it in uh, in popular sermons from from popular teachers. This uh, this walking back away, this kind of lightly stepping around hard truths. We don't want to be contentious people. We don't want to be looking for a fight, but we want to be ready for one. We we want to be people who are ready to stand firm, and even if that means hurting other people's feelings, we don't want to rejoice in hurting people's feelings. Sometimes you hear people talk and you think, I bet they just seem to like being offensive and hurting people's feelings. That's not what Machen is saying the goal is. The goal is faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. And faithfulness to the Lord is going to mean, as Paul told us, persecution, difficulty, hardship. And, and so Machen is importantly pointing this out for us. It's something we see out in the world, but it's also, honestly, something we recognize in our own hearts. Perhaps you've had a conversation with somebody and it's very obvious to you into the conversation that you and the person are on completely different pages. And you you see it like you see a road sign for it. You're like, I'm going to say something that's going to hurt this person's feelings, or they're going to ask me a question that I'm going to have to give an honest answer to. And it's one thing to figure out how to give a hard truth a soft landing. That's, that's, that's an admirable thing, that I, I want to say what's true, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing for a person to hear, perhaps, and I want to say it in a way that's, that, that they see that I, I mean to be encouraging. I have the, the best for them at heart. It's one thing to give a hard truth a soft landing, but it's another thing entirely to soften the truth. And that becomes a lie. That becomes deception. Uh, Machen essentially says, give me an honest person any day. He says, against all such policy of concealment, which I think is a great phrase for uh, what the, the liberal, the modern, is doing in his day. Against such policy of concealment or palliation, our sympathies are altogether with those men, whether radicals or conservatives, who have a passion for life. He says, I, 
he's, he's kind of fed up with the squishy people who are hiding what they say. He says, at least give me a radical who will tell me straight up what he believes. Because then even if I completely disagree with him, at least we're having an honest conversation. But here, uh, the, his problem is that the, the, these modern pastors uh, like Fosdick and others have come into the church uh, and are being tricky. Uh, they're, they're, being, they're, they're hiding what they truly believe behind religious historic language. So what's their problem? Well, what battles, uh, what, what battles are they trying to fight in a condition of low visibility? Maybe you remember that from, uh, from the first paragraph of this book. Uh, what specific teaching of Christianity do the liberals, uh, do the moderns in his day have a problem with? Well, they actually have a problem with the word teaching, period. The idea that there is a teaching, that there is uh, concepts to be learned, that there's doctrine to be handed down, uh, this is something they have a problem with. Moderns say teachings are unimportant. Creeds are merely the changing expression of a unitary Christian experience. And provided only they express that experience, they are all equally good. So Machen's saying, the, the, the modern is saying, look, creeds are fine. You have your creed. This person over there has their creed. And we should all just be able to get along. Because what a creed really is, he's saying, is not a summary of facts. And you think about the Apostles' Creed. You think about the Nicene Creed. That's what these are. It's a summary of facts. It's what the Lord has done for his people. But that's not what the modern, what the liberal says. They, say, they are saying in Machen's day that doctrine is just an expression of what people were thinking about their faith at the time. And Machen's like, we don't have any time for that. But he's also saying there, there are problems with this way of thinking. And, and Machen's going to do this throughout the book. He takes the, the liberal, the modernist objection, and he takes it very seriously. And he, and he says, all right, let's look at this, and let's take it apart. And so the, these, are, these are some of the problems. One, he objects to the fact that the, the moderns are saying, yeah, we don't need doctrine. But the, the first point being, but you do have a doctrine. You do have things that you believe. And an example he gives on page 19, it says such, for example, are the liberal doctrines of the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. These doctrines we see, we shall see contra are contrary to the doctrines of the Christian religion, but doctrines, they are all the same. And as such, they require an intellectual defense. And so this fatherhood of God, brotherhood of man, it's kind of this, we're all God's children. It's kind of this universalist uh, idea. Machen saying that that is a doctrine, and it's a it's a problem. It doesn't square up biblically, and it's not just and, and it can't just be about well this is a doctrine this is an idea that makes me feel good. Machen saying no this needs to stand up to criticism. This needs to stand up to uh, this needs to have an intellectual defense made for it. And and uh, these guys in in many in many ways uh, these uh, modern pastors aren't making arguments. They're making assertions. They're just saying, this is what's true. This is, this is what we believe. Uh, the, the other problem with this is that all doctrine is equal doesn't make any sense because these, some of these claims are contradictory. And Machen says, if all creeds are equally true, then since they're, contradic since they're contradictory to one another, they're all equally false or at least equally uncertain. Uh, you, you can't say that all, all of the creeds that a person might believe are equally valid uh, because different claims contradict one another. The Muslim, the, the Jew, the Christian, 
that they contradict each other in what they believe about God. So how can we say that all creeds, all beliefs are equally valid? He says that it's merely agnosticism at that point. If you really believe uh, that all creeds uh, are, are equal, uh, that's fundamentally agnosticism. And that's where Machen sees this, uh, sees this going. Um, he sees that there, there are many in his day who are holding on to the language of Christianity, but they're really giving up Christianity altogether. They're trying to, they're trying to win some with what they're saying, um, but they're giving up the substance of, of Christianity. I thought about uh, in, including in this a, a picture, uh, a tweet from Union Seminary um, from 2019. I don't know if you guys ever saw this, but it's students in their chapel and their plants lined up in front of them, and they're confessing their sins to the plants, their environmental sins uh, that they've committed. And it's, I, I, it's blasphemous. It's insane. But this is, but Machen sees this is the track that this is on. If you keep down this road, it's just agnosticism. It's it's fundamentally unbelief. And so this is the question: What do you believe? What is a creed? Machen counters all this and says a creed is not a mere expression of Christian experience. On the contrary, it's a setting forth of those facts upon which experience is based. That's what a creed is. Uh, we're, we're stating the facts. And we're giving interpretation of the facts based on what Scripture says. Uh, this, is, this is why we are a, a confessing church. Uh, we hold to uh, the, the Westminster standards. We recite ancient creeds in our worship services. Why? Why do we make use of creeds? Well, because it's not that they, we, we don't believe at all that they subvert the Scriptures. They are uh, wonderful summaries of what the Scripture teaches. Everybody has a creed. The, the difference for us is our creeds are written down. So you can actually look at them and say, hey, this is, the one, this is one aspect of this creed that I disagree with or I have questions about. But if somebody's hiding what their creed is, or if they're, even worse, making it up from week to week, you can't ever really pin them down. You can't ever really challenge what they believe or, or what they teach because it's, it's changing, it's morphing, or perhaps it's hidden. Maybe it is constant. Maybe it is solid in their own minds. Um, but it's something radical. And that's what uh, Machen is calling out uh, in, in this chapter. But it will be said, Christianity is a life, not a doctrine. Let's change the subject. Let's not worry about doctrine at all because Christianity really isn't so much a doctrine. It's more of a life. The, the assertion is often made, and it has the appearance of godliness. So I mentioned this uh, at, at the beginning that one of the things Machen is fighting against is this idea that Christianity is just a life. It's more about what you feel and how you live than it is what you believe. Um, and we need to be, I, I think Machen used this, this phrase very intentionally, the assertion's often made and it has the appearance of godliness. I think this is a subtle reference to 2 Timothy 3. Uh, where Paul says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Do you have the appearance of godliness but deny its power? Well, you have the, 
the trappings. You have what looks like religion. You have what looks like, maybe what sounds like faith in Christ, but you don't have Christ. You don't have the Holy Spirit uh, indwelling you. You've rejected what makes Christianity what it is. They're holding on to some of the language, but giving uh, up its meaning. And, and, what is, and what does Paul say? Avoid such people. And so what Machen deals with next is this question, is Christianity a life? Is that something that you can say? Well, it depends on what you mean. So helpful, uh, so, so, so helpful, uh, this, this, uh, this line from uh, the Princess Bride. You keep using that word, you do not think it means what you think it means. Christianity is not just a way of life in the modern sense, but a way of life founded upon a message. It was based not upon mere feeling, but upon an account of facts on doctrine. Uh, Machen, I think, is essentially fine with talking about Christianity, the, the life of Christianity, but you have to get the doctrine first. You have to get the message first. Do you believe that Jesus is God, that he lived, died, and rose again? If that's inconsequential to you, and you just want to talk about Jesus' teachings, uh, that we're to love one another, uh, then you're really giving up Christianity at its core. And so the modernist, that guy's the modernist in this, uh, in this picture, will say, okay, fine, Paul may have had doctrine, but at least Paul was tolerant. This is the next argument that Machen deals with. Is, you know, the, the modernist might say to the fundamentalist or to somebody like Machen who really wants to hold to the scriptures, uh, it's say, okay, I'm fine with you having a doctrine, but you're so, why are you so dogmatic about it? Why are you being so contentious about these things? Because Machen isn't being contentious. He's just standing for the truth. And the, the liberal objection to this is that Paul was tolerant. They'll point to, and fair enough, Philippians chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Paul is writing the, the letter to the Philippians from prison. He says the former, and, and there are people who are preaching the gospel, but they're also uh, giving Paul a hard time, making fun of him, uh, critiquing Paul in many ways, but they're not critiquing his theology. They're just critiquing him as a person. He says the former proclaim Christ, they do it out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so the, the modern thinker is wanting to take this passage and twist it and say, just leave people alone. If they think something different than you, just leave them alone. But Machen's going to push back and say, is that what Paul is saying there? Let's compare this to another passage where we'll see that the real consequential thing is that Christ is proclaimed. In Galatians 1, we see that Paul doesn't tolerate everything. He says in verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be a curse. Let him be anathema. As Pastor David said last week, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, 
let him be accursed. Paul doesn't tolerate everything. The, the difference is, is the gospel right? Are they getting it right? The, the, the folks he was talking about to the Philippians, they were preaching out of jealousy uh, toward Paul, but they were getting the gospel right. And to him, that's what matters. Are you proclaiming a different gospel? And he's saying that the, the liberals in his day are. Tolerance versus intolerance, what makes the difference? For Paul, it's the gospel. And so in, uh, on page 26, uh, uh, Machen says, it never occurred to Paul that a gospel might be true for one man and not for another. The blight of pragmatism had never fallen upon his soul. Uh, Paul's not trying to just get people into the church. He's trying to proclaim the message of Christ. And, and doesn't this sound so modern when Machen says that it never occurred to him that the gospel might be true for one person, but not for another? sounds so much like uh, the, the quote we hear so often today, that uh, you have your truth and I have mine. Machen rejects this entirely. Uh, he goes on, Paul was convinced of the objective truth of the gospel message. The devotion to the truth was a great passion of his life. Christianity for Paul was not only a life, but also a doctrine. And logically, the doctrine has to come first. What the scripture says has to come first and it's got to it has to check our experience the scriptures have to uh, have to check our feelings uh, we have to be governed by the word of God um, Paul said you know uh, and this is Machen uh, quoting if, if Paul said you know the Judaizers aren't that different than we are he would have compromised faith alone his tolerance would have denied the gospel Machen has that uh, this interesting um, uh, place in, in, in this section where he says if Paul had just uh, had just given over to the Judaizers and said you know we're, we're not that different from each other why don't we just uh, why don't we just share the same churches uh, it would have been a denial of of the gospel uh, entirely Paul saw very clearly that this was a difference between two different religions a religion of merit and a religion of grace if Christ provides only part of salvation, then we are still hopeless under the load of sin, and thus we groan again under the weight of the old bondage to the law. What Machen's saying is, uh, Paul in Galatians 1, he's fighting against, uh, against legalism, against those who say, yes, Christ, but then also the law. Well, he sees a similar thing in his own day with the liberals, with the moderns. Uh, he sees them getting away from belief in Christ, getting away from uh, the, His supernatural work for us in which we're pardoned for our sins. And he sees them moving more toward a religion of works, a religion where it's all about, do we love each other? Do we care for each other? Do we do good for each other? But then at that point, of course, who defines good? Uh, we are saved by the grace of God alone. Well, Paul then, or Machen then moves into this discussion. He says, how can the liberal even quote Paul? Well, the answer to this is by, by either one, taking him out of context or getting rid of him altogether. Um, and so if you get rid of Paul, you get rid of the Old Testament, then you're just left with Jesus. And then this is where Paul really spends uh, the, the most of his time. And I know we've been going slowly through this chapter so far. It's a long chapter, but we'll, we'll go through bigger uh, portions of it now. Uh, what 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 Machen really puts his finger on now in this chapter is that uh, the, the, the liberal seeks to get rid of Paul and really just focus on Jesus. 
But it's not Jesus as he preached about himself. Instead, he says it's a vague admiration for the character of Jesus. And that's, that's such a helpful phrase. What happens in vagueness stays in vagueness, as a friend of mine used to say. And when, when, you, have this, when you have this kind of uh, non-specific admiration for Jesus, it may make you feel good. But Jesus didn't leave the teaching about himself vague. Jesus told us plainly who he was, and we're meant to respond to him in faith. What matters most, again, for the quote, Christ died, that is history. Christ died for our sins, that is doctrine. Without these two elements joined in an absolutely indissoluble union, there is no Christianity. A merely sentimental religion would not have survived the cross. Uh, Machen goes on to, to talk about, isn't it interesting that the disciples who were cowering uh, on the eve of Jesus's death, um, then uh, several days later, are the are the boldest men on earth. Um, Peter, who denied him, uh, forty days later is proclaiming the gospel to thousands. Uh, these uh, Peter and the other disciples were not announcing that Jesus was a good moral teacher. And hey, guys, your lives would probably look a little bit better if you listen to some of his ideas. They were pretty good. No, they're not announcing that he was a good moral teacher. They're announcing that he rose from the dead. They're pointing to the facts of history, that the grave is empty, and they're interpreting those facts. That's doctrine. They're teaching that Christ rose from the dead uh, to be victorious over sin, death, and hell. So the, the next fight that Machen gets into in this chapter is against people who say, well, Jesus never said he was God. We, we want to talk about Jesus, and, and you're kind of overselling it, aren't you? The, the whole death and resurrection, certainly the, the death is very inspiring because he did that for us. The resurrection is a nice story, the, 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 the really radical, liberal, or modern might say. But if we really look at the Gospels, they would say Jesus never said he was God. And Machen could have used so many different things to prove that this is not the case. Jesus repeatedly uh, reveals that he is divine. Um, and, uh, and, and before I point this out to you, uh, Machen goes after H.G. Wells, which I think is kind of fun. Um, he said that, uh, well, and in his day, H.G. Wells wrote this, The Outline of History, which is a pretty bold title for a book. The Outline of History, H.G. Wells has it covered. Um, but in his Outline of History, uh, he's totally dismissive of Jesus. He puts Jesus on the same level of Confucius and says that uh, he was a great moral teacher. And essentially, that's all H.G. Wells says uh, about, uh, about Jesus. And Machen called it, back on page 10 of this book, a thoroughly modern book, which is a huge burn for Machen. Machen that's like one of the worst things that uh, Machen can, can think to say. Um, that's not true. He's going to say way worse than that as uh, the, the, the gloves come off as, as the book goes on. But Machen says, Mr. Wells may find it edifying to associate Jesus with Confucius in a brotherhood of beneficent vagueness, beneficent vagueness. But what ought to be clearly understood is that such a Jesus has nothing to do with history. He's purely an imaginary figure, a symbol and not a fact. Um, I love that he says, Mr. H.G. Wells might find it edifying to do this. But, but this really puts, his, this is Machen really putting his finger on it. What does edify a person? What does give someone hope on their deathbed? 
what gives somebody uh, hope in the in the most difficult trials of their life? It's only not an idea of Jesus, but Jesus Himself, actually holding on to the Lord of Life, who sent His Spirit to dwell in us and to be with us. Um, the 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 kind of theology that Wells and others are talking about it does no one any good because it doesn't save us from our sins. Uh, we're still in our sins if Jesus is just part of the brotherhood of vagueness, um, uh, as, as, as Wells would say. So Machen goes on to talk about Jesus' messianic consciousness, that Jesus knew he was the Messiah, that he knew he was God. The problem for the liberal who believes Jesus was only a great moral teacher is the strange fact that the supreme uh, revealer of eternal truth supposed that he was to be the chief actor in a world catastrophe and was to sit in judgment upon the whole earth. This is an amazing thing, I think, that, that Machen says. He's saying that for all the people who want to appeal to things like the Sermon on the Mount and say, look, just look at the Sermon on the Mount. Look at the ways in which Jesus said, the, the radical ways in which Jesus said, be kind to each other, be sacrificial to each other. Machen is saying, yeah, you, you seem really comfortable emphasizing those parts and not the parts where Jesus says people are going to go to heaven or hell based on what they say about him. Those are the parts that uh, they are flying over, but those are in the Sermon on the Mount. So of all the places Machen could have gone uh, to defend that uh, Jesus clearly says that he's God, he goes to the Sermon on the Mount uh, because it's such a favorite text of the, the, the liberal, the modern, and even in our day. Uh, this is still very much true, but he points out at least two things. One, Jesus' authority. Instead of saying, thus says the Lord on the Sermon of the Mount, like the prophets of the Old Testament would do, uh, Jesus isn't presenting himself as someone who's just received a message from God that now he's giving to the people. Jesus says, I say to you. Jesus is the one speaking with divine authority. He is the Lord. Um, and, and then uh, Jesus, and then Machen also highlights Jesus' judgment. Jesus will judge the world um, by those he knows. He has the right to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And, and so uh, Machen uh, d delivers a strong blow to those who think this way. Uh, and uh, Machen, Machen does this in a few other ways. Uh, on page 40, he talks uh, about the, the question, what does it mean, come to Jesus? And, and uh, Machen says, when Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He speaks not as a philosopher calling his pupils to his school. There are people that still talk about Jesus this way, that Jesus was just a rabbi calling disciples to himself to teach them how to live. Machen says, Jesus was one who was in possession of rich stores of divine grace. Not come to me because I've got some good ideas that will make you feel better. Come to me because I alone am the source of eternal life. You will find life nowhere else than me, the Lord Jesus. Well, he deals with a few more objections before, before we close. Uh, one, one is, why can't we just keep it simple? Isn't doctrine a little bit uh, too complicated? Um, th this invitation to come to the historical Jesus, his teaching, his way of life, that they would say, isn't it the memory or the idea of Jesus that comforts us? It's kind of the, the, the quest for the historical uh, Jesus 
um, uh, is is sort of is sort of like uh, Jefferson's uh, Jefferson's Bible, you know, where he went through and he cut out all the miraculous parts, and he just left the parts of the Bible that he liked. Um, the The disciples were in this position where, uh, and th- this is Machen's point that he makes here, that the modern will say, the uh, what's really important is that we think about Jesus and that comforts us. That we think about the Jesus who lived. We look at these stories of how he saved people, how he rescued them, how he healed them, and and those are things that encourage us. And Machen is saying it doesn't do a lot of good to know that Jesus did something for other people. It matters if he did something for you. And he, he highlights this fact that the disciples were in this position where they were thinking about uh, they were thinking about Jesus because he wasn't with them on Good Friday and on Saturday before Jesus resurrected, after the crucifixion. And what were they like? They were miserable. Uh, Machen says, if you want to preach this idea that we should think about Jesus who lived long ago but isn't still living, reigning at the right hand of God, then essentially what you're, uh, what, the, what you're binding people to is misery. The gospel that you're giving them is a miserable one. Uh, we need a Savior who conquered the grave and who sent His Holy Spirit to dwell in us. It's not enough that He saved others. We need to know that He saved us. This is Machen's point. Uh, what we need history, and uh, we're, we're wrapping up here, but we need history in no branch of science. Uh, would there be any real advance in if every generation started fresh with no dependence upon what past generations have achieved? It's an idea that uh, I think is very prevalent in our culture, and, and you recognize this not just with Christianity, but, uh, but, but in other places in our culture as well. But uh, Machen, Machen is saying to the modern, why would you give up the, the history of the church? Why would you give up with these creeds, even if you disagree with them? Why would you discount them? Uh, again, nothing, nothing uh, is benefited by throwing out everything that we've learned in previous centuries. Um, Machen says, after listening to modern tirades against the great creeds of the church, one receives rather a shock when they actually turn to the Westminster Confession or to Pilgrim's Progress and finds that one has turned from the shallow modern phrases to a dead orthodoxy which is pulsating with life in every word. In such orthodoxy, there is life enough to set the whole world aglow with Christian love. Uh, what, what is Machen saying? Well, to the modern, to the liberal who says, yeah, we don't need the Christianity of the past. We need a new modern Christianity. He's like, have you read anything from the past lately? And see, read, read the Puritans, like any of them. Read uh, the, the Confession, read uh, Pilgrim's Progress, and, and you find such refreshment, such a breath of fresh air, uh, come especially compared to uh, the vagueness with which all the modern preachers are speaking. Well, Machen clarifies here at the end two things that he does not mean by advocating for a doctrinal faith. And, and, and the first thing is that he's, he's not saying that doctrine has nothing to do with life. But, you, but he makes the point that you won't get a changed life without the gospel. Um, he, he, makes, he makes an interesting point uh, toward the end of that chapter that if you, if you just go around telling everyone do to others as you would want them to do to you. Well, if you tell a drunk that, he's just going to go around buying, buying folks drinks. He's saying it's, 
It's, it's an interesting point that he's making that if you say just treat everybody the way that you would want to be uh, treated, uh, we're sinful people. Uh, we're, uh, there, there's something at the core of us uh, that, is, that is depraved, that is wrong, that's, that's fractured, that needs healing. Uh, the, the, Lord, the Lord Jesus has to change our hearts, uh, has to give us the new birth. Uh, and uh, we have to be directed to what is good uh, by the scriptures. Uh, we're, that's, not, uh, that's not intrinsic in us. Um, but of course, that's what the liberal, that's what the modern would say, um, that people are fundamentally good and they just need a little bit better ideas. And that's where Jesus comes in. But Machen says, no, that's not true at all. You can talk about Christianity being a life, but it's a doctrine first. The second thing that he does not mean is that all doctrine is equally important. He's not saying that we have to fight tooth and nail for every single uh, thing. That There are some things that Christians disagree on. Now, they're important things that we disagree on, but there are things that it's okay for us to disagree on, and we still call each other Christians. And he gives several examples. The first that he gives is the order of events in connection with the Lord's return. Um, he's talking there specifically about premillennialism, uh, which was very popular in his day. If you don't know what premillennialism is, think of the Left Behind series, um, and uh, that's uh, the, the secret rapture, and planes and cars are, are left uh, driverless, and, um, and and then there's this uh, there, there's this period of, of history where all kinds of things happen. He says their error, serious though it may be, is not a deadly error. It's not one that strikes at uh, Christ being the Lord. He also talks about uh, in his. His second uh, qualifier, or his second example, is the mode and efficacy of the sacraments. It's not all doctrine is equally important. Christians can disagree on these things. Sacraments are really important. Um, he 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 makes he he talks about uh, uh, Luther and Zwingli and their disagreement over the Lord's Supper, and uh, and and Machen says that uh, Luther was wrong about his view of the Lord's Supper. Uh, that Calvin's the one who's right about the view of the Lord's Supper. But Luther, uh, Luther saw that uh, the view of the Lord's Supper really mattered and that it was worth fighting for and even dividing over. Um, and, uh, and so denominations, uh, uh, churches will divide over things like this view of the sacraments, but we wouldn't say uh, that, that somebody is not a Christian um, just on that particular uh, view. And so he also talks about the nature and prerogatives of Christian ministry, uh, Reformed theology versus Arminian theology. Um, and then he makes a really interesting point. He says that when it comes to this, when it comes to the doctrine of liberalism, of modernism, there are some ways in which the Protestant has more in common with the Roman Catholic than they even do with uh, the liberal of their day. Because uh, the, the the Roman Catholic at least has a proper view of of God, has a good understanding in in some ways of uh, of Jesus's person, not his work, but who Jesus is uh, in his person. But then Machen says uh, that liberalism completely gives up all of that, and he says the chief modern rival of Christianity is liberalism. The two movements are in direct opposition. And I think this is the hardest punch that Machen makes in the chapter so far. And he's going to go on in the rest of the book uh, to show how that's true. He's going to take it subject by subject uh, to show that liberalism really is a threat to Christianity. It is in opposition 
to Christianity entirely. Christianity is based then upon an account of something that happened. And the Christian worker is primarily a witness. That's what we're called to do. We're called to, uh, to say what we've seen, to say what the Lord has shown us in His Word, that, uh, that, uh, that, that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose. But if so, it is rather important that the Christian worker should tell the truth. And he's saying that the moderns, the liberals in his day, are not telling the truth. Uh, we're called to be those who tell the truth. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your gospel. We thank you that Christ really lived, uh, that he, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, uh, lived for us the perfect life, died in our place, and rose again that we might have life in him. Oh Lord, would you uh, strengthen us, help us to stand firm in our faith, when there's so much uh, temptation around us to soften what it is that we believe uh, for the sake of not offending others. Lord, help us uh, not to be those who are aggressively going and looking for fights, um, but who are ready, who are strengthened, ready to stand uh, against opposition. Lord, help us to do that by making use of your means of grace, by reading your word faithfully, by storing up in our hearts your word, by uh, paying careful attention to the reading and the preaching of your word that we may know the truth, uh, that we may be nourished by, uh, by the living water of the truth. Uh, Lord, uh, help us. Uh, even now as we go into worship, uh, would you strengthen us as a body? Uh, help us uh, to, to love uh, Christ and to see him for who he is. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.